do all of our mic stuff. All right. All right. You just put that in your pocket. Awesome. You can just go for it, my brother. All righty. Is this mic on? Can y'all hear me? All right. Good deal. Uh, I'm very excited to be here with y'all. Honored to be here. Appreciate uh, Brother Allen asking me. So, if you've got a Bible, let's open up to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and Pastor Alton and I, I guess, were texting earlier this week, and I asked him what he thought that I should preach on, the, the theme at least. And he said something on humility, something on servanthood. And so we're going to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 2 that might be uh, the greatest chapter in all the Bible about humility, about the attitude of servanthood. Uh, there's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about those themes, but this is maybe the most important. I heard one pastor say, a guy that I would respect, um, that maybe there's two or three chapters in the Bible that are the most important. And this will be one of them. Okay, so we're going to look at this little passage. And let me say just maybe one kind of brief word by introduction, the letter to the church at Philippi. Paul had helped plant this church. It was actually in a very uh, poor kind of area, but they loved Paul. And they love the gospel. And so they're the only church that we know of in Paul's ministry that no matter where he went, they always sent some money. They were always supporting him. Because they were, even, even when they were struggling to have money, they were that committed to the gospel. And so Paul's writing them this letter. And mainly, he's in prison when he's writing this letter, which you'll see in a minute is pretty impressive, some of the things that he says. But he's in prison. He's writing them this letter in one sense to thank them for the money they've given, but also to kind of give a report of the way that the Lord has been blessing His ministry. And so I'm going to start, actually, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's just read the first two verses there. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose... So here's kind of a summary of what Paul's saying at the beginning of this chapter. He's saying, listen, if anything is going right with this church, and he's like, and I know a lot's going right because y'all are kind of my favorite church. That's basically what he's saying. I know you guys are doing good, but if anything's going right, if you've experienced anything good from Christ, and I know you've experienced a lot of good stuff from Christ, then i got one last thing I want you to do for me. I want you to live in unity. I want you to love one another. I want you to be single-minded. I think Pastor Elton was telling me this morning, one of the chapters he preached on was John chapter 17, where the Lord Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. And one of the things he said that was pretty insightful, he said, you know, listen, Jesus knew 2021 was coming, a divisive year. And yet Jesus still prayed that the Christians could be united. And you know what? Paul's praying for the same thing. Paul's encouraging the church, be united. Paul had the same heart that Jesus had. We should have that same heart. Now, we're going to talk about the humble life. That's kind of the theme for tonight. The humble life. Because if you really want to live in unity with other people, you've got to be humble. If you have two proud people trying to be unified, it ain't going to work. You ever tried that? Okay. If you've got one really humble person and one really proud person, that probably ain't going to work either. But if you can get two humble people to love one another and try to live in unity, you got a chance. you got a chance of it working. you got a chance of it being real. So that's what we're going to talk about in just three points tonight, okay? The first thing is the principle, the principle of humility. The second thing is the person, the person of humility. And the third thing, the practicals, the practicals. What does it really look like practically to be humble? Okay, so first, the principle. Look at verse 3, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Paul says, anytime you take any action, speak a word, go do something, never let selfishness, self-centeredness, it's all about me, be your motivation. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's hard. Especially in today's age where everybody wants to be on TikTok or be Instagram famous. And listen, I'm not saying that's always 100% wrong. But I'd say be real careful because Paul says selfishness should never be your main motivation. You shouldn't do things out of conceit, out of pride. It should be humility that drives you. And that's hard. Now, he gives us a practical way to do it even here. I'm going to say more practical at the end, but he says, consider others better than yourselves. Now, this is, this is part of what I love about Paul. He's so practical. He doesn't say you have to really believe other people are better. You might think, you know what? I'm actually better than him. But Paul says, even if you think that, act like the other person is better than you. Does that make sense? Just treat them that way. Just treat them like they're more important. I mean, think about whoever it is in your life that's kind of, in your mind, they're the most honored person. Maybe you got a best friend. Maybe you got like an aunt or an uncle or somebody. You're like, man, I respect this guy so much. He's so wise and he's so godly and on and on and on. And if he ever came over to your house, the way you might treat him, you might give him the seat of honor, right? You might give him the biggest piece of chicken when you're dividing up all the food or something. And, and the point is this, Paul's saying, treat everybody that way. Treat everybody like they're more important than you are. Practically, that's what it looks like to be humble. He keeps going. Verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, here's another reason I love the Bible, because it's very realistic. Sometimes, and I've done this, I've used the word selfless before. Man, we just need to be selfless in the way that we serve people. But you know what? That word is not in the Bible. The Bible never says be selfless, because at some level, that's unrealistic. I've got to think for myself sometimes, right? I mean, it's like I get hungry. At some point, I've got to go feed myself or I'll die. I can't give all my food away. i got to keep a little bit for me. Or then I'll die and I won't help anybody. But all Paul says is, listen, just treat others more important than yourself. Don't look out for your own interest. Also look out for the interest of others. Now, some of us say, man, that doesn't sound radical enough. I promise, if you really try to practice it, it's plenty radical. I'm going to give you a little experiment, okay? And I won't be here next week. So Pastor Alton can choose to check up on you or not. But just for the next week, seven days, until y'all get into the new building, seven days, every time you have an interaction with another human being, just try to say, I want to put their interests first and my interests second. I'm not saying you have to forget about your interest. I'm just saying, just always make them number two. Let me go a step further. If you're married, all right? Hang on, it's about to get dangerous, all right? If you're married, forget about the rest of the world. Just think about your spouse. And every time for this, I mean, in one sense, I'm making it easier for you. You don't have to think about everybody. Every time you have an interaction with your spouse this week, just try to consider their interests more important than yours, right? Maybe you're going out date night, going out to eat. She likes Mexican, you like Italian. You're eating Mexican, right? You're going to come home and watch a movie. You want something action and suspenseful. She wants rom-com chick flick. You're watching the chick flick. Baby wakes up in the middle of the night and you're like, hey, I got him last time. You get up and get him again. You understand what I'm saying? This is kind of a side note. This isn't the main thing I came here to talk about, but this can change your life if you actually practice it. Mine too. 
If you'll really do that in marriage, listen, the way that most fights work, and not just in marriage, but in all relationships, it's two selfish people trying to hold on to what's theirs, right? I'm sick of serving you. Why don't you serve me more? Well, I served you last time, so why can't you serve me this time? That's a bad fight. That's a prideful fight. That's a sinful fight. That's a worldly fight. That's a non-Christian fight is what it really is. A Christian fight looks like this. No, 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 you served me last time. Let me serve you this time. No, no, no. We went where I wanted to go eat last time. Let me, let's go where you want to go eat. You understand the difference? I mean, that, that's that, you know, listen, you can still get in a yelling match about that, and I don't advise that, but that's a more godly yelling match than a self-centered yelling match. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? Treat, that, that's the principle. Just treat other people like they're better than you. They're not, but treat them that way. Don't forget about yourself. Just be number two and let them be number one. There's the principle. Okay? Now, some of y'all are like, that's crazy. You can't really live that way in this world. I mean, this world is dog eat dog. There are other people out there that will take advantage of you. They will use you. They will abuse you. It's the mean streets out there. You can't live that way. You'll get chewed up and spit out. There's some truth to that, is there not? But let's look for just a minute at the person of humility. Because some of you may be saying, man, I see what you're saying, but I ain't never known anybody live like that. At least one guy did. Okay, Look at what it says in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, that's a little bit weird language because what it's talking about is kind of this mysterious thing. What the Bible says is that the one true God is actually one God but three persons, right? You've heard this before. It's a mystery. I can't explain it. You want somebody to explain it? Ask Pastor Alton. He won't be able to explain it either. Okay? It's a mystery. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're totally equal. Okay? There's, there's one confession of faith that says they're equal in power, in substance, in glory. They're totally equal. But what this is saying is, when it got time for Jesus to come to earth to die for our sins, He didn't say, no, I'm not doing that. I want to hang on to my right being God. God the Father, you're God. You don't have to die. God the Holy Spirit, you're God. You don't have to die. Why do I have to die? He didn't do that. He didn't hang on to it. He didn't grasp onto it. He willingly laid it aside. Now again, Compare and contrast the attitude and the character and the heart and the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ with the attitude of the average human being on planet Earth today. What are we doing? We're not just hanging on to what we already have. We're grasping for more, right? I mean, go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. What were Adam and Eve doing when they committed the first sin? They were trying to grasp on to, I want to be God. God said, God said, you can eat from every tree in the garden. Just don't eat this one tree. And they said, then that's the tree I want. Right? That's some of our attitudes, right? Tell me I got to do something, then that's what I'm not going to do. Put a sign right there that says no parking, that's where I'll park. Because I want to do what I want to do. Because deep down in our sin, we want to be God. But Jesus said, I'll lay it aside. I'll lay aside my divine privileges. I won't grab onto them. I won't demand my rights. It goes further than that. Keep going what it says in verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What does that mean? Jesus was willing, 
When he, he added a human body, he became, again, the Trinity's a mystery, and here's the next big one, the incarnation. Jesus Christ, 100% God, and at the exact same time, 100% man. How's that work? I don't know. Bible just says it works. But part of the way it works is there had to be limitations. You realize that? When Jesus was walking around the earth, he got hungry. He had to eat. He got tired. He had to take naps. He knew the same weakness that we know. He even got tempted with sin. Doesn't that seem insane? But it's real. Because he embraced the weakness that we live in. He was willing to do that. It goes even further. Verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now guys, most of us have grown up somewhere like Birmingham. The belt buckle of the Bible belt. Right? So we've been hearing about Jesus died on the cross for our sins before we could drool. Which in one sense is a blessing, right? I'd rather grow up hearing about Jesus than not hearing about Jesus. But here's the danger. You get inoculated to it. Right? We all know what that means. Right? Everybody's talking about vaccines right now. Love them or hate them. We know what a vaccine is, right? It's an inoculation. I'm going to give you just enough of the disease so you don't get the real disease. There's too many people in the southeastern United States that got just enough of Christianity, but they ain't got the real thing. Right? Because we've seen so many pictures of a man hanging on a cross that we're just kind of bored. We're kind of numb. If you go back and study some of the ancient Roman Empire... Well-to-do Romans, they wouldn't even talk about crucifixion in public society because it was such a gross, such a terrible, such an evil way to torture somebody. You know one thing about the Romans? They would never crucify a Roman citizen. They'd crucify outlaws from other countries, rebels, foreigners, but they would never... I mean, they're like, even if we have to execute you if you were a bad Roman, we're not going to execute you by crucifixion. You know, when America's founding fathers put together the Constitution, the Bill of Rights and all that, one of the things that they put in there was no cruel and unusual punishment. You ever heard that phrase? The Romans said, no, 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 we want to go the opposite direction. (laughs) What's the most cruel? What's the most unusual punishment we can come out with? A way to torture somebody where it took them hours and hours, maybe even days to die. And here's the point. God didn't just humble Himself to become a man. He became a poor man. He became a lowly man. He became an obscure man. Jesus wasn't famous until He was 30. You ever thought about that? He's the God of the whole universe and He lived 30 years on the planet and most people had no clue who He was. Then He got famous and only lasted for three years and He got killed and He got killed in a horrible way. Terrible suffering, terrible death. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Did you pay attention to the verse that Chad walked us through earlier? James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, I think. God gives grace to the humble, but He's opposed to the proud. The most humble man to ever live was Jesus. The most humble act of all time was Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. So what did God do? He exalted Jesus. Gave Him the name that is of every name. Listen, if you just say, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in God the Father, guess what? 
I love you. This is just the truth. You're going to die and go to hell. Because God the Father wants to honor Jesus. So God the Father said, if you want to be saved, you've got to believe in the name of Jesus. That's the way that you honor Him. I mean, God the Father says at the end time, everybody from around the whole planet, throughout history, even the devil himself will have to get on his knees and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. This is kind of a side note, but it's a real important one. Everybody that can hear this right now, you're going to say Jesus is Lord one day. And you're going to mean it. But if that's the first time you say it on Judgment Day, it's too late. You realize that? Say it now. He's Lord. He's Savior. I bow down. I love Him. I want to follow Him. I'm a mess. But He's so loving, He'll forgive you. He'll take you in. The person of humility. Now the third thing, the practicals of humility. Hopefully, all of us, myself included, are just a little bit inspired. We're like, if Jesus could leave His Father's throne above in heaven and come to earth and walk among us and suffer among us and even die on the cross, be tortured like that. If He could be that humble. Surely I can be humble with like my wife, with my friend, with my coworker, with my boss, with my employee, whoever. So if you say, but I, what exactly does it mean? I need more than just inspiration. I need something like really practical. Well, here you go. Look at what Paul says. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what Paul's saying. Another reason I love Paul, he's not stupid. <laughs> he's not pie in the sky. Paul's not fairy tale. Paul's not like, listen, if you'll come to church and you'll sing a couple of good worship songs with James over here, you'll be so inspired, you'll never sin anymore. You'll just feel love in your heart and you just go out and love people, it'll be easy. Paul knows, no, you can read the Bible, you can pray, you can sing worship songs, and guess what? It's still going to be really hard because you still have sin living in you, and so do I. And so Paul says, you got to work at it. God works salvation in you if you're a Christian. It's our job to work it out. Look at verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's doing all the work inside of me, but I don't need to take that for granted. I don't need to be a grace abuser. I need to say, God, you've been so good to me. You've been so merciful. You're changing my desires. You're changing my motives. You're making me less self-centered more God-centered. i got a long way to go, but at least there's been a baby step of progress. And then you got to say, I'm going to go flesh it out today. By God's grace, by His power in me, I'm going to go try to actually love people, try to actually serve people, try to actually be humble. Again, some of you are like, thank you, be more practical. Here, look at verse 14. It does not get more practical than this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh-oh. I mean, that just got all of us, didn't it? Underline that one. If some of you are like, man, I, I want a real practical application of this sermon, memorize that verse. It's really short, it's easy, but it'll convict you about every day. Everything you do, do it with a good attitude. Don't grumble and complain. Another side note. I made a side note about marriage. I'm going to make a side note about parenting. This is a great parenting verse, right? This is a great verse to get your kids to memorize really young. Again, because it's short. Then every time you tell them to do something, turn off the TV, but dad, you say, Shut your mouth. Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Now listen, you may say, well, that doesn't sound practical because sometimes there's a, there's a time to push back. There's a time to argue sometimes. Yes, but here's the point. Don't do self-centered whining. Right? 
Why me? I don't like this. It's not fair. It's too... Have a good attitude. As much as you can, have a good attitude. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant? I mean, just like fast food restaurant. And the person behind the counter, whether it's busy or slow, they can change the whole atmosphere of the whole restaurant by just their attitude, can't Right? I mean, if they're, if they're in a bad mood to be there, next. Huh? Okay, card. You know, you're like, man, I don't want to come here again. I don't care how good the food is if people treat me like that. But on the other hand, if you come somewhere, somebody's like smiling. Good to see you. Thank you. Sorry for your wait. Let me in there. You know, it's kind of like, I don't even like the food here, but I think I'm going to come back. It's like, man, it's fast food, but I might leave them a tip. Person's so nice. What, what if Christian... Guys, listen, I know that some of this that I'm reading and talking about, that the Bible's saying, some of you are like, man, I don't see anybody in the world doing this. And listen, we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians, can we? It's not fair. Every once in a while they do, and it's awesome when they do. We ought to celebrate it. But let's just be honest. I don't need to go put the pressure on non-Christians to act like a Christian. But just what if all the Christians just started acting this way? Love, service, no grumbling, no complaining always putting other people first, always considering others better than them, it would transform all society, wouldn't it? Let's just see if the Christians can do this. Keep going. Look at verse 15. So that, why should, why should we live this way? Why should we live the humble life? Why should we practically live humble? Here, here Paul goes. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent... Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. If you'll live this way, humbly, gently, loving, servant attitude, trying to promote unity in all the right ways, you will look like a bright star on a dark night because that is not the way our culture is living. People will realize a difference. And every once in a while, somebody might come to you and say, What's different about you, man? Why do you act like that? Why were you so nice to that person? They just, they just took advantage of you, man. How could you be so humble? I, and you say, well, I'm going to tell you. Deep down, I wanted to punch that guy in the face. Why was I nice? Why was I humble? Because the God of the universe was humble to save me. And if he could be humble in that really big way, I can be humble in this kind of small way in a traffic incident. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have a reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Listen, if internally you're not holding on to the word of God, I love the word of God, I like the word of God, I read the word of God, I think about the word of God, I meditate on the word of God, I memorize the word of God, I want to obey the word of God. If, if your heart's not there, you'll never live this way. It's too hard. And all the culture is going to push you in a different way. But if internally, right, you're coming to church, you're coming to the Bible studies, you're coming to the prayer meetings, then on your own you're reading the Bible, you're thinking about it. Then when the hardship hits you in life, the good stuff can still come out. There was a, a woman named Amy Carmichael. I think she was British. She was a missionary. She went to India. She served there for years, primarily working with orphans. And she had this illustration that she shared that has been really helpful to me. Imagine if I'd come up here and I was like, man, it's been a long day, Pastor Alton. Can I bring a cup of coffee up there in the pulpit with me? 
And he said, sure, you know, we're, we're casual, we're laid back, take a cup of coffee up in the pulpit if you want to. And then I said, well, also, you know, sometimes when I drink coffee, I get a little dehydrated. So I can I take a bottle of water up there with me, too. He said, yeah, man, do whatever you want. You know, don't take a beer up there, but, you know, take a cup of coffee, uh, take a bottle of water, take what you need to up there. And if I got the cup of coffee in my left hand and I got the ice cold water in my right hand. And as I'm talking, I get too excited and I bump the pulpit. If there's hot coffee in my left hand, my left hand's going to get burned. And if there's cold water in my right hand, my right hand will just get a little cold. Does that make sense? Now, some of you are like, this guy's lost his mind. What's he talking about? How does this have anything to do with Philippians? What Amy Carmichael said is, your life is going to be full of something. And when the circumstances of life kind of bump you, whatever's inside is going to come out. Right? So when you have a hardship, just be honest with yourself. What tends to come out? Is it kind of hot and bitter and angry and mad and mean and selfish? Don't blame it on the circumstances. Well, that guy talked mean to me first, so that's why I talked mean back. No, no, no. You had meanness in you, and that guy bumped you, and meanness came out. And if gentleness and kindness and godliness comes out, that's because you've been worshiping Jesus. You've been reading the Word of Jesus. You've been thinking about it. You've been praying about it. So when somebody bumps you, you can respond in kindness. And guys, a lot of us have probably experienced this before. Maybe you're the one that did it, or maybe somebody else did it to you. Let, let's think about it that way. Have you ever gone to somebody else and kind of been angry? And maybe you're losing your stuff. And you're starting to get a little red-faced, angry, yelling, about to start cussing a little bit. And the person that you're yelling at, they just respond in gentleness, kindness. They say, oh, wait a second. Why are you so mad? I, I want to hear what you got to say, but... I'm not mad at you. Can you kind of calm down a little bit? And it kind of brings you to your senses. You ever had that happen to you? Okay. Let's treat other people that way. I'm not saying it'll always work, but it is amazing. There's a proverb that says, a gentle word turns away wrath. It's like it turns down the emotional temperature of the room. Almost done. Look at verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. Now see, something that we could have easily forgotten this whole time before we got to that verse is, when Paul was writing this letter, he was literally in a dungeon. Right? It would be one thing if Paul was writing this and he was like in a palace. Right? It'd be one thing if Paul was writing this and he was like on a free cruise to the Bahamas. And he's like, I'm just down here drinking my margarita, bathing in the sun, 78 degrees, got a nice breeze, everything is wonderful, and I just want y'all to be nice to each other. It's like, yes, yeah, it's, it's easy to be nice to each other on vacation. Paul's in a prison. He's in a dungeon. He thinks he might get executed pretty soon. He doesn't know. You read the first chapter, and he's like, uh, I might get my head chopped off tomorrow or not. I don't know. That's kind of my paraphrase, but that's basically what he says. And even there, he's like, I'm happy, I'm joyful, because he knows what Christ has done for him. He knows where he's going even if he dies. And so he's able to say, even if this means death, even if this means torture for me, even if this means more suffering in a dungeon, I can be joyful. Listen, guys, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of a humble life. Because if I have a proud life and I get put in a dungeon, I'm probably going to be mad about it, right? 
not really excited about this dungeon. I don't deserve this. I deserve nicer accommodations. But if I'm humble, listen, somebody else said this wiser than me, but it's helped me so much. As long as you're on planet Earth, anything that you experience that's better than hell, which is everything, right? Even your worst day. It's better than what we deserve, isn't it? Man, if I can keep that in the front lobe of my brain, that just makes you happy. So, like, man, I had a terrible day. Tornado came through, wiped out my house. But you know what? I'm not in hell. Could be worse. Now, listen, you might still cry about your house. I mean, it's nice to have somewhere to live. But it kind of lightens the burden. It kind of lightens the wound when I can say, heaven and hell are real. I deserve hell. But I'm not going there because Christ already went there for me. What we confessed. So I'm free. His humility is the key to my life. And if I can start practicing some of that humility with others, that might be the key to them coming to Christ. Because it'll look so radically different in this dark, messed up world. They'll say, how can you have such a good attitude? How can you be so kind? How can you be so patient? How can you be so gentle? Why do you keep serving me even when I'm a jerk to you? And that's the power of the gospel working. Last verse, and we'll be done with this. Verse 18. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You see, I think for a lot of us, we start talking about being humble. We start talking about being a servant. If we get gut level honest, what a lot of us think is this. Oh man, I know I'm supposed to be humble. Man, I know I'm supposed to serve people. That sure sounds miserable though. But I want to be a good Christian. So I'm going to try to be humble. I'm going to try to not even do humble brags, right? I mean, I'm going I'm to not talk about myself and be humble. I'm going to try to serve. Pastor Alton asked for somebody to show up early and help set up chairs or something at the Bible study. I don't want to do that, man. I don't even want to come to the Bible study. But now I've got to come if I'm showing up early. And now Pastor Alton's going to put me to work. I mean, when we think about humility, we think about servanthood, we think it's going to kind of be miserable. Does Paul seem miserable in this passage, guys? He seems like he's bursting with joy, doesn't he? He's like, guys, I'm, I'm so happy. And I want you guys to be happy too. And listen, that's not fake. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't exaggerating. He was filled with the Holy Spirit writing the Bible. And here's the thing. Where does that come from? It comes from with my mind's eye looking at Jesus thinking about Jesus. In a sense, being in awe of who Jesus is. If the creator of the whole universe can be that humble to come and die for me. In some sense, it's a privilege to get the honor to go humbly serve other people and get to represent Jesus, isn't it? Some of y'all love this church. You really love this church, you know. You love what Pastor Alton and the church stands for. And imagine if Pastor Alton was out of town and he said, hey, I want you to preach next week for me or anything. I want you to read the confession or something. And you really, at, at first you might say, man, that's a burden. I'm going to have to read. I'm going to have to study. I'm going to get prepared. What if I say something stupid and people laugh at me? But there would also be a sense that it would be a huge privilege, wouldn't it? Man, I love this church. Pastor Alton's going to let me represent the church. You'd be fired up. Listen, that's the way we ought to feel about Christ. This Christ has loved me and served me 
even by going to hell for me? Yes. Is there a burden in obedience? Of course. Paul said, work it out. It's hard sometimes. <laughs> Take it serious. Work it out with fear and trembling. But also, in the same sense that it's a burden, it's much more of a privilege. It's a joy. We ought to delight in the fact that Christ says, I call you my brothers. I call you my sisters. And I'll let you go out there and represent me. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We don't love you as much as we should. We want to love you more. Please help us love you more. But mainly we do sit back, we look at you, we think about you, and we rejoice in you because you have loved us so well. Thank you for your humility. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your servant's mentality that was willing to leave heaven to come to this earth to suffer to save us. Make us into the men and the women that you want us to be. Faithful, not perfect, but faithful representatives of your humility and of your love to every person we meet. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.